I'm not supposed to be here. I was told I would die before my 28th birthday, yet I am 50 years old. I'm a wife, a mother, a grandmother, and I have an amazing life despite living with two terminal illnesses. It's time for me to share my story before I can't. So here it goes. I'm Kelly Wilson, and this is my life in pieces. Hi again. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the final part of my six-part sexual abuse series. Today, I will be interviewing a longtime friend of mine. He has a background in law enforcement and has truly been one of the few people who have always supported me and never judged me for my past. I'm so thankful to have him in my life. And as my guest speaker today, welcome, Scott. Thank you for having me, Kelly. So... To give our listeners a little background on our friendship over the years, do you remember how we met? Uh, I think you were dating a uh, fellow uh, hockey player teammate of mine, and you walked into uh, a restaurant that my wife's family owned, and that's how we first met. Yeah, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. That was the early 90s. Yeah, long time ago. As you know, I was sexually abused at a very young age. And with your background in law enforcement, is sexual abuse or assault something you see often? Yeah, unfortunately, it's something that we see a lot in law enforcement. And um, certainly, um, every police force that I'm aware of have a dedicated section that deals with crimes against people and primarily sexual assault or crimes against children. So yes, it is something we see, unfortunately, quite frequently. So the statistics in Canada are one in three girls and one in five boys are sexually abused. We know those numbers aren't accurate. Can you tell me why you feel that people don't come forward probably, you know, um, easily at all? Well, it, there's a number of reasons I would suggest why people don't come forward to, uh, to report any type of uh, trauma against them. One, it is a very traumatic experience and one that people aren't uh, willing to share that easily. So now you take that as an adult, be it a male or a female, uh, if it's hard for them to come forward, you can only imagine how hard it would be for a young person or a child to come forward. Um, and often, and I'm sure the statistics would also show that younger people, uh, it's someone they know, or it's a family member that you were supposed to be able to trust to begin with. And if you lost that trust or the trust has been eroded with one of the most trusted adult members that you have in your family or that you're, it's a known member to your family, then going to somebody else outside that who is also an adult to trust them would be difficult. But I have to say mostly it's the trauma that's been suffered makes it very difficult for anyone to come forward. And how important is it to come forward as soon as that assault has happened, if if you so choose to go that route? 
Yeah. From a, again, from a law enforcement side, the quicker you can come forward, um, the, the better it is for the investigation in regards to recency. Um, and that a lot of it has to do with surrounding of physical evidence that might exist. Like the longer you wait to come in, the more physical evidence that would disappear and wouldn't be available to you. Be it the location where it happened, any type of uh, DNA or anything like that, that would help support um, the investigation. And um, when it comes to people coming in later on, the historical um, sexual assaults, it's it comes down to a almost a he said she said type situation, and who has you know who's most credible, who has the most believable story, and then you're relying on uh, an individual, in case that'd be a judge or justice or a jury, to whom do we believe more? You know the victim or the accused. And so the earlier you come forward, you have supporting evidence in regards to some type of um, clothing, DNA, um, bruising, or if there was a case, if there was a uh, sexual assault kit done at the time, you know, all that's valuable evidence and can be used in a court case years down the road to be God's honest truthful. DNA has an awful long lifespan. And if you have, you know, if that's been seized properly and uh, catalog, you know, cataloged properly, then, you know, that, that can be used at any time. So there is no statute of limitations on sexual abuse or assault in Canada, or is there? Like, is there a limit of time that someone has to come forward? Are you familiar with that at all? I'm not sure exactly if, if there's a statute of limitations is what you're speaking of. There's statute of limitations regarding uh, sexual assault. Um, it has to do with the severity of crimes a lot of the time. Right. So, but you see it come forth all the time. You know, I, I was a former employee of the correctional, uh, the Brunswick Correctional System, and there was a gentleman who was sexually abusing children. Uh, and it was decades and decades after this had happened that the charges were brought forward, and uh, there was a multitude of cases and a number of and it was young men came forward and testified against the individual and he was found guilty and went to jail. So in regards to uh, the statute of limitations, I'd be surprised that if, it, if there is one in regards to a serious sexual assault, that it would be a long period of time before that statute of limitations would come forward. In my case, I wasn't the person that actually originally charged my offender. So I was subpoenaed to go to court because I was privy to information regarding the person that did come forward first. And going into the police station was very intimidating, but I also felt supported, you know, and victim witness helped me a lot, took me to court to see the courtroom prior to, and I worked with them a lot. Can you talk about maybe some of the resources that, um, that there are out there for people who do come forward? Yeah, certainly, you know, I'm, uh, I, I know 
the organization I work with best, but I know most organizations have this in some way, shape, or form. Like our victim witness uh, group are made up of uh, social workers and trained volunteers. Now, our social workers, um, in regards to someone who has suffered any type of trauma, uh, particularly sexual assault or uh, violence against them, they need, they're lost to some degree. They, they, you know, their world is falling apart and they need some help in regards to um, some direction and some counseling to be God's honest, truthful. So our uh, social workers um, are able to provide initial counseling. And since they are social workers and they do know the system and how it works, they can get them into longer term uh, counseling should they need it or should they want it. So, uh, and then also we talk about what preparing someone for, for what's going to happen in regards to the investigation, in regards to the court process, because as you know, it's not an easy thing to go through. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of um, rights for an accused and uh, we're just getting, and I would say as a, as a country and a community that a lot better at protecting victims' rights. And, you know, if we, we know that it's super hard for victims to come forward and a lot of victims don't come forward for a number of reasons. So if the process can be improved for someone who's suffered any type of traumatic experience to come forward and it's, and it'll be hard no matter what, you know, you, you can't get away from the trauma associated to it. But if you can make the process a little more transparent that they know exactly what's going to happen and there's someone going to be with them all the time, it makes it easier. Or at least I hope it makes it easier. I feel that it certainly did for me. So you say victim and you know, I don't consider myself a victim. And that is just because I think over the years I have felt that it's just a part of my story. And for me, that word, I don't know, just didn't resonate with me well. Um, But what's your opinion on the word victim? Well, you know, we've had this discussion a few times over the years. Um, I, I think that, you know, victim, you know, we're all victims of something at some point in our lives. In regards to, I think you were uh, initially a victim, and although you don't like that word, but more importantly, you're a survivor. Mm-hmm. And you were able to, through your own devices as well as uh, talking to some some good people over the years, able to deal with it. And you were able to, um, I'm not going to say compartmentalize because I'm not a big fan of that word because if you compartmentalize too much, um, you will get overwhelmed. You have to you know, deal with the situation that has been presented to you and then hopefully through talking to the the right people and getting some solid advice that you can turn the corner and not see yourself as you do as not of a victim, but someone who has survived or has experienced something, but you're able to go on with your life and deal with the trauma that happened at whatever stage. And that's a lot easier said than done. Like some people 
um, truly can never get by it. And some people can live with it. And, you know, they certainly uh, manifest itself in many different ways um, from trust issues to uh, substance abuse issues at time to um, physical abuse issues at time. Like, you know, you have some victims and we talk about it a lot that you seem to fall into the same category. You're treated poorly by somebody and because, you know, they have demoralized you and demeaned you so much that your self-worth is beaten down and I pardon that term beaten down, but, and, uh, you seem to think that's all I'm worth. Whereas it's, you know, you know, we, I've seen it many times over the years that, you know, that someone who's just a real good person and why they're with that person who belittles them and demeans them and treats them poorly is dumbfounding. Right. But it's psychology. And if you're, if you're in that type of situation, if you're brought up in that situation, a lot of it is, you know, it's what I've learned over my years as a youth. And now I relive it. Like that cycle of, you know, the cycle of violence or, you know, the same thing has to do with uh, finances in regards, you know, we're bringing up society that they think uh, living on the government is a way to go. And it's not the next generation's fault. It's, it's our fault not to give the help of, you know, just like to a victim, you know, we have to give them the help to deal with the situation. Then we have to give them the tools to improve in life. And if we're, if we're not doing that, then that cycle will continue. And it doesn't matter what's it, what the cycle is, it will continue. Right. So knowing me as well as you do, why do you think that specifically if there is anything, the reasons that I didn't fall into drug addiction or didn't become promiscuous or didn't, you know, fall into that life of needing to mask the pain. Well, uh, and we've talked about this a couple of times, but if, if I could model that, we could sell it. I'd patent it, then I'd sell it. <laughs> And the world would be a much better place because for whatever reason, and you know, you're not the only person in the world that's been able to do this, but you're the one that I know. And, um, I'm, I'm not, you don't, one of the things is you don't run from it. You don't hide, you deal with things. You know, that's one of your good personality traits, right? You, you, you know, anyone comes with you with a problem or anything like that, you won't skirt around the issues or anything else. You will deal with the problem. And that's the same way that you deal with your own life. You know, you, you have your health related problems and, you know, we've had a couple uh, lunches and stuff where you'd be pretty down and you will say, I just need to get through this for the next day or so, and then I'll be okay. And that's you, your personality, you're able to do that. And, but there's a lot of people out there that can't. And, um, and not that you didn't talk to some people because I'm one of the people that you talk to sometime and, um, try to give some good advice, but a lot of people don't have access to a strong friendship base and they need some help. So what you have is special and be able to share that with people that's special too. And I do find a lot of people do come to me and, 
talk to me be and I think I'm approachable because I don't think I'm judgmental, but in, in saying that, I just want to add something to that. I talk a lot. <laughs> you can laugh. It's okay. But <laughs> I, I talk a lot and that has been my savior because I think the more I talked about negative things in my life, the easier it became to talk about. And I do believe your brain eventually almost becomes okay with that trauma. And I think that it doesn't even necessarily have to be a psychologist or a counselor. Um, it can be a friend. It can be, it can be someone that you just can bounce stuff off of. But I think talking about things is so key uh, you know uh, people bottle stuff up inside and whether that's because they're humiliated or embarrassed or just so hurt that they can't even articulate that and put it into words I just feel that that has been something that's been a saving grace for me yeah and for sure like bottling it you know not talking about it, all those things are classic examples of what people do and you are right that you you do talk a lot, <laughs> and but it's good, right? It's it's good that and people appreciate what you have to say, and because you speak the truth to them, you don't mask things. If people are, uh, you know, had a, you know, people over the years have had you know child problems or relationship problems, and you don't paint them with the lily white brush or anything like that you tell them you have some faults too and that forces people to look into themselves and look at the situation but you're able to internally do that to yourself and a lot of people can't do that right when they've been through a traumatic experience right oh no i'm probably harder on myself than anybody else um so we know that this happens a lot and it's really unfortunate and the numbers are really staggering and it just keeps on getting more and more it seems as a parent yourself do you believe you raised your own child differently because of cases that you've seen in your career or the knowledge that you do have oh i, I think I, I i i would imagine that i absolutely did right so uh every experience you have in life you know you put forth in regards to raising your child or being in a relationship or anything like that and I know I was a, a pretty protective dad um, and I I you know I tried to be open and honest with my daughter and she's you know she's a pretty solid individual herself right so um, I think that you know certainly myself and my wife had a lot to do with, you know, like any parent does with their child's upbringing. And uh, I would, you know, sometime it might have been hard being Scott's daughter in some social situations, but uh, for the most part, um, my daughter's turned out fantastic. And uh, now she's raising her son, and he seems to be doing very well. So I, I, I would say that, yes, my experiences in life certainly affected how I raised my daughter. 
but I tried not to uh, scare or be overbearing and or say the world's terrible when uh, because in law enforcement uh, a lot of times all we're dealing with is terrible so that's all we see so we forget that the vast majority of the population are really good yes right and if you don't emphasize that then you get stuck in that 90 10 rule you know most people live in the 90 10 positive police have a tendency because of the world we live in live in the 90 percent bad 10 percent good so, uh, you know, we try to raise our daughter with good values and be a strong personality. And uh, I think we were successful at that. But I'd have to say that I was certainly a protective father. Yeah, I was definitely a hover mother. Uh, yeah, helicopter parent, I think they call it. Um, can you explain to us why, because some people don't understand, um, it's still considered sexual abuse or assault under the age of 14. And I know there's a little bit of complicated answer there, but even if it's consensual, why is it someone, let's say 12, 13 years old, um, why is that still considered sexual abuse with a 20 year old if they consented themselves? Well, it all has to do with the age. And the age of consent varies from, uh, you know, the age of consent is 16 years old. So if you're 16 years old um, and, you know, and we had this discussion before, 16 seems awful young to be able to consent with having sex with basically anyone you want older than you. So uh, the age of consent for a 14-year-old is five years. So you can... If well, technically you were just turned 14 and someone was 18 late into their 18 year, you know, that age of consent exists. Now, under 14, you know, 12 to 14, it's only two years. So, um, and it, you know, it's just, it's scary to think that, you know, uh, a 12 year old can consent with being a late, being with somebody late 13 years old type thing. And it's, it, it's scary. All these ages are scary. And, and I get it as a father that went through it. Um, but it, it's about um, trying to first train your, you know, your children to make good moral decisions when they're young uh, and be, come to you with any type of problem that has happened to them, be it a physical one, or an emotional one. So uh, that age of consent, you know, it, it's a little confusing. Uh, even as a law enforcement officer, I sometimes find it confusing. But uh, the ages are in there, and they're put forth by professionals um, who are uh, supposedly know the fields, and uh, and the government puts those decisions into place. Like um, there are many rules and laws out there that. Many people don't uh, morally agree with, to say the least. And anything around uh, abuse, be it physical or sexual abuse, around young people or children is a very emotional um, topic. 
So I get it 100%, uh, but that's just where we are as a Canadian society right now. Because I know for me, you know, being 12, it was my offender grooming me and manipulating me and, um, you know, not having the ability, because I didn't have an adult mind, to get away from that as easily as someone that was 18 don't doesn't have the ability to not be or they do have the ability to not be manipulated as easily as a 12 year old and it's that old saying that when i was a child i thought as a child when i'm an adult i think as an adult so when you have an adult trying to manipulate a child they certainly have the intellectual advantage so um that's why know another reason why those ages come into play right if someone is listening right now that has just experienced a traumatic event sexual assault or other what personal or professional advice would you give to that person so um, certainly from a personal standpoint um, please get some help you need to talk to somebody you need to because this was an incident that was not your fault. So don't, you know, don't try to keep that emotion in that I led the person on or I did this or I did that. You know, it wasn't your fault. You were a victim. And I know you don't like that term, but you were a victim of a crime. And as a victim of a crime, uh, and certainly if it's a personal crime, a crime against you, that you need to you need to get the help to deal with that situation. And it doesn't matter how old you are, if it's it's a traumatic experience. So if I were just giving direction to somebody, I would say, we need to get you in to talk to somebody. Uh, talking to a friend is one thing, but sometimes a lot of friends, they just don't have the background to be able to give them good advice. Uh, any good friend would give them advice, okay, we're going to get you in to talk to you so you can talk to somebody. Now, from a professional standpoint, if you were a victim of a crime, certainly a sexual assault, um, the sooner you can get law enforcement involved, uh, the better it is from a legal standpoint, like I talked about earlier, about gaining all that evidence and all those little things that are so important come uh, if you decide to go to trial. And if nothing else, you can come to the police and we can start the counseling ball rolling, if nothing else, right? We can, you know, we have access to um, social services and to, you know, in our case, in our department, victim witness who are trained um, social workers who can help you initially and then help you down the road in regards to where you got to go and who you have to see. And, uh, but I get it. It, it. It's a tough, it's a tough thing for anyone to go through man or woman, child or adult, and you have to truly look after yourself because the, and all the studies have shown that how it affects your life on a go forward basis is never positive unless you've got some help to deal with it. And you end up like a Kelly Wilson, who is, I think you're paying it forward in regards to, um, you, you know, you were very traumatized when you were young, 
um, because of you are who you are, you were able to deal with the situation over years as you weren't uh, right. It took time. And now you're that person that people can reach out to. And even like listeners can now you're helping people that you don't know. And just in regards to giving them some good advice and just that they're not alone in the world in regards to, because if you're a victim of something, you think I'm the only victim that this has ever happened to. And you're here telling everybody, this is what happened to me. I get it. I was 12 years old. I know exactly what happens. I know exactly what, how, how somebody gets groomed and the things that happen. And you've been through, you know, all the troubles that were associated with it after. And then you were uh, able to, you know, see your, you know, uh, you know, I don't have nothing good to say about the guy. So you can see him in court and get the punishment that he deserved. So, and then afterwards, you've more than dealt with the situation uh, a lot better than most people have, but you're able to share that with people. And for someone who's in uh, a dark place, uh, someone being able to shine a light saying, saying through their experience, this is what I've done. And maybe you can get there too, would mean a lot to anybody. I would think like, and I think it does anyway. Well, thank you. And that is my motivation. I hope that even if I can help one person, I hope that um, I can do that. So final question, what affirmation motto or phrase do you think best represents you in your life? This is a new signature question I have. Yeah, and thank you for this, Kelly, <laughs> very much. Um, really, I, I try, and uh, I try to be a good friend to people. Uh, I try not to overly judge people. I try to give everybody the um, benefit of the doubt, and that's uh, sometimes difficult in law enforcement, and sometimes I uh, take a little heat over that. Um, but, uh, you know, be a good friend to people, be a, uh, try to be a good listener, try not to be too judgmental on people. And it's, sometimes it's difficult. I'm a human being like everybody else, but being a good friend and a good person will take you a long way in life. And, uh, that's what I try to do. Yes. And you do that. And you've definitely done that for me. So thank you very much, Scott, for taking this time to come on my podcast today and, uh, I appreciate it very much. You're more than welcome, Kelly, anytime. Mm-hmm.